Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Den of Geek podcast featuring commentary on the latest news from denofgeek.com as well as other behind-the-scenes content from your favorite movies, TV shows, and more. My name is Mike. And I'm Dave, and this is Episode 17, the late edition of G News for September 2018. And we've got a lot of news to talk about from movies and TV and all over the, the planet. We've got a little gaming news in there, of course, as well. And our bonus item is kind of fun. we got Daniel Curland back with us to talk to another Adult Swim animator. He loves the Adult Swim content. And this time we're going to be talking with Christy Caracas, the creator of the very innovative and weird Ballmasters 9009, which finished its first season earlier in the summer. But let's go ahead and dive right into it here with the news from the later part of September. All right, Mike. Well, I'm going to start off with a show that I, I still don't have a real good handle on, and that is Maniac. And as more and more film actors transition into prestige television, I mean, it's no surprise that a medium that was not so long ago greeted with a lot of scorn and derision, and now it's kind of catapulted to the top of the mountain in the eyes of a significant portion of the public. I mean, I, for one, have said many times, I, I don't have the patience for movies anymore. Right. So it's kind of merging, too, in a sense, because streaming content can kind of give you an eight hour movie in one hour chunks. Yeah. So when Carrie Fukunaga signs on to direct and Jonah Hill and Emma Stone join the cast as the two principals, I mean, viewers sit up and take notice that said, the new Netflix dramatic series Maniac is definitely not fair for the casual viewer no. who, who thinks he or she might be able to multitask as the <laughs> pilot's plot unfurls its narrative twists and surrealistic turns. And, and surrealism is a great adjective to describe this show, at least so far. It reminded me a little bit of Legion on FX, that kind of weird <laughs> X-Men adjacent show. I'm sure there's a lot of differences to this movie, but the aesthetic was the same. Well, and, and I thought of you immediately with 12 Monkeys thinking, geez, 12 Monkeys was easy to understand <laughs> compared to this. But fans of Ridley Scott's Alien may notice several nods to that now iconic film. Uh, Michael Seymour's set designs add to the time-bending reality of Maniac with its anachronistic setting that includes futuristic robots picking up dog poop off the sidewalks and retro new york city subway trains from 50 years ago and the use of aliens white on yellow space trucker aesthetic for the lab is built around a narrative irony in the story justin thoreau's dr james k mantle ray has constructed a machine in the literal image and vocal tenor of his mother just as supercomputer in alien is named mother uh, very cool now maniac 
stars high caliber actors at the height of their careers so successful that they're stuck with the double-edged title of movie star i guess they don't probably complain when they get the check though (laughs) and both emma stone and jonah hill have so deftly picked their projects up to this point that they can get movies greenlit especially as stone's fresh off her oscar win for la la land and when stone and hill agreed to produce maniac as well I mean, let's face it, Netflix was the ideal platform to distribute it to the mainstream. Now, I know we haven't even touched on the plot of Maniac, but the point of David Crowe's piece here is to point out how series like Maniac in many ways are supplanting the big screen and the things that movies do so well. The two characters, Annie and Owen, are two very troubled, broken personalities living in a surrealistic world, and each character is only a sample of the variety of personas they get to revel in due to the fantasies that are triggered by these experimental drugs that they're taking through this study that they've signed up for. And for just a little bit more, here's director Kerry Fukunaga talking about just how the setting is presented in a kind of vague manner. Take a listen. We wanted to to flip normality upside down. Um, The show kind of asked that question, what is normal, uh, sort of in a in terms of a mental state, but also I think baseline reality, if you, if you will we'll call it, was not the delusional world. Um, it was important that that wasn't exactly comfortable. Uh, we wanted an unsettling feeling to it. Now, Maniac is truly like no other series you've seen. For much more on the connections it has with the art of the film, check out David Crow's article, Maniac Blurs the Line Between Movies and TV More Than Ever. Yeah, I love how he characterizes that. And and I think of the fact that, you know, the episodes are all kinds of different lengths from everywhere from 45 minutes to 23 minutes, I think David said in his piece. It really is just kind of like chapters in a larger movie or literary work instead of a TV show. So very cool. So my first TV piece, since you started with your Netflix one, I think I'm going to start with the fact that Veronica Mars has officially been revived at Hulu. This was very exciting news for me. And although it was determined in my household that the story of Veronica Mars is not quite ready for our family viewing with my 10-year-old daughter, who's we're trying to find a new show to watch with her, I am excited that Hulu has officially announced that it will revive the series for a short run in 2019, about a year from now. Yeah, the pilot is a little bit racy, but uh, give her a couple years. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Kristen Bell will executive produce this revival, as well as reprise her title role, of course. And series creator Rob Thomas, who's been busy with iZombie these past few years, will write the first episode, at least. I'm not I'm not sure what his involvement will be beyond that. But the logline for the revival is, Spring Breakers are getting murdered in Neptune, thereby decimating the seaside town's lifeblood tourist industry. After Mars Investigations is hired by the parents of one of the victims to find their son's killer, Veronica is drawn into an epic eight-episode mystery that pits the Enclave's wealthy elites, who would rather put an end to the month-long bacchanalia, against a working class that relies on the cash influx that comes with being the West Coast's answer to Daytona Beach. So, pretty cool. It's not episodic like the show was originally. It's uh, serial across eight episodes, kind of like a eight hour movie like we were just talking about with the previous piece well i'm just concerned that her dad keith mars yeah. is going to return from his time traveling uh, yeah. and be able to actually participate here 
Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, come on. At least a cameo, right? Oh, I know. <laughs> but wait a second. Isn't Kristen Bell busy with The Good Place, you might ask? Well, actually, she has a clause in her contract with The Good Place that has prevented that series from being picked up for more than 13 episodes, interestingly enough. So contrast that with the original Veronica Mars, which ran for three seasons of 64 episodes. <laughs> Just do the math there. And then followed by a Kickstarter-funded movie in 2014. I mean, that's a lot of TV that she's done on this one topic. So all episodes of the original version of Veronica Mars will begin streaming on Hulu in the summer of 2019. And then the revival will come sometime after that. But let's take a quick listen to the announcement that Kristen Bell gave about this revival via Twitter. This is a very important marshmallow announcement. Did you guys know that as of summer 2019, all the old Veronica Mars episodes will be available on Hulu to stream and rewatch? Which is great, because you'll need to brush up since we're making another one. Oh, and you can tell she was very excited about that. Apparently, she and Rob Thomas have been trying to find a way for a long time to bring it back for more. There was just a lot of legal stuff to work out, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, why not? Great character, great stories. I'm, I'm definitely psyched. But if we want to read more about the Veronica Mars revival, make sure you check out Chris Longo's article, Veronica Mars Officially Revived at Hulu. All right. Now. While Jared Leto's portrayal of DC Comics Joker didn't please a significant number of comic fans, it's <laughs> yeah. difficult to argue with the $750 million the film has brought in <laughs> worldwide. Now, in both the mediums of print and celluloid, the Joker has clearly left an unforgettable imprint on the population that's as grotesque as a comic villain gets. And Den of Geek film critic David Crow takes an in-depth look at the six actors who've brought Batman's arch nemesis to life on the big screen. And Mike, I'd forgotten about a couple of them. Yeah, this is a interesting article because it also was accompanied recently by the like 10 or 11 actors who have played Superman. So I think it's interesting to see that number and go, wow, there really were that many Jokers? Yeah, and, and of course, many younger fans are probably unaware that well-known character actor Cesar Romero appeared in 1966's Batman the Movie, an appearance that actually had to wait until the television series concluded its first season. And Romero maintained his Latin lover mustache. And, and kids, if you don't know Cesar Romero's Batman, <laughs> Google it images you'll know what i'm talking about and he apparently insisted that no amount of cackling would impede his trademark appearance and more than any of the other portrayals romero's depiction can be seen almost as a live action cartoon and and part of that is the time in which it appeared but still now fast forward 22 years later and jack nicholson arguably bringing the most perfect casting imaginable to the baby boomer generation with his interpretation of the purple suited criminal force. But in retrospect, it seems almost inconceivable that Nicholson almost didn't get the part. I mean, David Bowie, what <laughs> Willem Dafoe and 
most famously, Robin Williams were also up for the role, although Williams has contended that he was used by Warner Brothers as a tool to reduce Nicholson's fee for the film. So I'd almost completely forgotten that Luke Skywalker, a.k.a. Mark Hamill, took on the role of Gotham's finest or worst after completing his run with George Lucas's Star Wars. And in fact, Hamill had trouble getting work just because he was so closely identified with the Luke Skywalker role. Right. And of course, modern audiences were thrilled by the late Heath Ledger's interpretation and Jared Leto and Joaquin Phoenix round out the half dozen who've put themselves in that dark place required to do this evil character justice. So I'm just scratching the surface here for much more. Go to denofgeek.com, read David Crow's Joker, six actors who have played the crown prince of crime, and you definitely won't be disappointed. Well, my next piece, Dave, is another one by David Crow, but also he was joined by a lot of other folks on the staff at Den of Geek to put together the list of the must-see movies of 2019. And they put together quite a list, and it contains some of the obvious comic book-related choices you might expect. I mean, who isn't looking forward to Captain Marvel, Shazam, and new entries in the Spider-Man, X-Men, and Avengers lineup, right? But the list also contains notable sequels like How to Train Your Dragon 3, John Wick 3, and Men in Black 4, as well as Disney live-action reimaginings of Dumbo, Aladdin, and The Lion King. But let's take a quick look at just a couple of the lesser-known, at least to me, but no less notable films that we're looking forward to for next year. The first one is The Hustle, which comes out on May 10th. Now, this is a Dirty Rotten Scoundrels remake. They just changed the name to The Hustle. It stars Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson. And like the 1988 original starring Steve Martin and Michael Caine, one of my favorite movies, it is the tale of one graceful and high-rolling con artist trying to train and muscle out a crassly inept one. And Dirty Rotten Scoundrels has been made into a musical on Broadway, so reimagining on the big screen is obviously more than fair game, especially after Hathaway proved to be the stealth comedy MVP in a similarly con-related movie, Ocean's 8, this past year. Uh, Mike, I, I can't wrap my head around the fact that that movie was 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, wow. and it's one of the movies I've seen the most often whenever it pops up on like one of the movie channels and I flip past it on the remote, I tend to stick on it. <laughs> but the film uh, moves the story, in this case, from the French Riviera to the U.K., and it features Hathaway as the queen of manipulation and Wilson as her less skilled but eager pupil. It could end up being a bland studio comedy, according to the writers here, but we have a hunch that it might just talk its way into being something special just because of that casting. And then the other one I want to bring up from the list is close to my sci-fi heart. When I read it, I'm like, oh, this sounds kind of cool. And that's Ad Astra which is the earliest film of 2019 on the list. It's coming out on January 11th, and it comes to us from filmmaker James Gray, who has had a fascinating career of telling stories about individuals driven into the unknown with movies like The Immigrant and the vastly underrated The Lost City of Z. Now, Gray will take Brad Pitt this time, Ad Astra, which means to the stars in Latin, and in some ways, Ad Astra sounds like the fascinating alternative to Christopher Nolan's Interstellar, because sort of in that film and in this one, 
a father goes to the furthest reaches of the solar system and maybe even further in search of otherworldly life's fingerprints. And then they never come back. So in this case, Brad Pitt, his character, Roy McBride, 20 years later, after his father's disappeared, makes the travel to the orbit of Neptune in search of answers and maybe might find his long thought to be dead father, strangely enough. And given that Papa is credited as Tommy Lee Jones, we imagine that he'll find more out there than just a big pile of stardust. So it'll be interesting to see how that plot unfolds, but just sounded really cool a nice movie for the winter time. But if you want to read the entire list and there are tons of great movies on here, some well-known, some not as well-known check out the den of geek editors list called the must see movies of 2019. All right. Sounds good. Now, Mike, for my last topic, it's, it's actually kind of a hybrid topic. Technically, I think it falls under the games section on denofgeek.com, but it also incorporates literature, as you'll hear in a moment, and, and certainly action, animation series as well. So in an entertainment environment that has presented the world of vampires in a number of different lights, it's sometimes easy to forget that Bram Stoker's Dracula was published way back in May of 1897. Almost 90 years to the day, game developer Konami released Castlevania in North America. Pretty obvious attempt to pay homage to the iconic vampire. And just as Dracula pioneered what has evolved into the horror genre, so too has Castlevania become the basis for a revolution in gaming. And and Mike, I don't remember which podcast it was for, but I did watch a few Castlevania episodes when we were talking i don't even remember why why i did it at the time but they were cool (laughs) yeah in fact i think we're gonna try and get a castlevania producer on for our sci-fi fidelity podcast so yeah that's it's definitely caught my attention just from reading articles like this one on den of geek right now while it's neither accurate nor fair to state that dracula was the first piece of horror literature and castlevania the first horror video game that doesn't really lessen either's impact and dracula was published at a time when victorian readers were obsessed with good adventure novels which would certainly help explain why stoker wrote dracula to be just as much of an adventure story as a horror novel and Unlike games such as Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre for Atari that had attempted to capitalize off the latest horror hits hitting the big screen, Castlevania's influences can be traced back to the universal era of horror films. Now, it also didn't try to scare players like 1986's Uninvited did, but rather take them on an adventure filled with allusions to classic horror. Now, Examining the success of Dracula, we have to consider the fact that Abraham Van Helsing's desire to put his own safety in jeopardy to hunt down vampires instantly exhibits heroic actions that that readers certainly were drawn to. And by the same token, there needed to be a vampire worthy of pursuit. And it's crystal clear that game developers considered these when designing their games. And Castlevania's development team recognized the idea of a vampire hunter versus the world's most feared vampire was a tremendous setup for an action game. Yeah, and it came out pretty well. That's definitely one of the games that you and I have both enjoyed. Yep. Now, like many artists, 
Bram Stoker did not live to see Dracula achieve the huge success it would ultimately enjoy. And it's kind of fitting that Castlevania, the game, didn't enjoy initial success either, despite critical acclaim at the time. And again, I, I feel like I'm always saying this. I'm really just scratching the surface with this piece. So for a much deeper look into both the novel and the game that draws so much from it, check out Matthew Bird's article, Castlevania, a Dracula masterpiece, 90 years in the making. I love those parallels that he came up with. But yeah, uh, obviously we were referring to earlier also the Castlevania animation that's out there. <laughs> that's the one we're trying to get the producer for. But but yeah, it's got all kinds of different influences. And- Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And continues to influence the horror genre. So great story by Matthew Bird. Now, it's interesting that you chose a hybrid story for your gaming article. And it turns out we did do one each, again, of movies, TV, and gaming. My last article is from Matthew Bird as well. And it talks about Diablo, one of my family's favorite games of all time, becoming an animated series on Netflix. Now, the the headline of the article that you'll want to look for from Matthew is Diablo animated series may be coming to Netflix because this is still somewhat speculation based on a couple of different things, which we'll talk about. So first of all, my dad, he's in his mid seventies and he still plays Diablo (laughs) and in its heyday, my family would have a sizable land party during holiday time, only coming up from the basement to eat and open presents. So my brothers and my dad and I always thought it would be cool. We've talked about this a number of times going back years that if they could do a prequel story for Diablo, we would love to see like a young Deckard Cain. So I don't know if that's where this one's going, but some version of the tale of demons and fallen angels might be coming to Netflix as an animated series. According to a tweet from Andrew Cosby, the founder of boom studios who perhaps prematurely tweeted that he's in final talks with Netflix regarding an animated adaptation of blizzards action RPG series. Now, that original tweet has since been deleted, but what it said was that Cosby hopes to the high heavens, quote unquote, that it all works out, quote unquote, (laughs) which suggests that the deal is not final at this time. But Cosby has previously spoken about his interest in doing a Diablo series and noted that if he were to do one, it would, quote, definitely be rated R, which I think is probably necessary for this particular title. Now, while there's no word at this time regarding whether or not he has stuck by his guns and is still insisting that an adaptation be R-rated, 
we don't think it's that much of a stretch to suggest that Netflix would be into that kind of thing because of other similar projects like Castlevania, as we mentioned. So Blizzard isn't saying anything about these rumors at the moment, but previous statements by Blizzard community manager Brandy Camel previously revealed that the studio is working on several projects related to Diablo and its franchise. And at the time, it was widely speculated that he was referring to multiple games, like perhaps a Diablo 2 remake with updated technology. But it does make a lot of sense that maybe one of those projects could be an animated series on Netflix. So we are hoping against hope. And obviously, that's uh, the impetus for Matthew writing this article. So if you want to check it out, it's called Diablo Animated Series May Be Coming to Netflix. You know, I think your mom needs to start taking the food and drink down into the basement, <laughs> you know? Yeah, come on. <laughs> Why don't we just have the whole celebration down there and we just uh, turn around from our monitors occasionally? <laughs> uh, those days are long gone, unfortunately, but <laughs> it was fun while it lasted. Now, our bonus item is an interview that comes to us from Daniel Curland and Daniel brings us a lot of fun interviews with some unusual or not necessarily unusual people, but people that run some unusual shows <laughs> and in the adult swim world, that's no huge surprise, but Christy Caracas is an American musician, an animator, a voice actor, a director, a writer, and he's previously been known for creating super jail, but also has been the, very warped mind behind Ballmaster's 9009 for Adult Swim, which has been described as a mixture between the Bad News Bears and Mad Max, <laughs> if you can kind of reconcile those two images. But the series premiered on April 9th of this year, and it stars Natasha Leone as the voice of the main character, Gaz Digsy. So let's go ahead and take a listen to Daniel Curlin's interview with Christy Caracas that he had earlier this year. A lot of unusual animated programs come along on Adult Swim, but few are as unique as Christy Caracas's Ballmasters 9009. Ballmasters is a hyped-up take on sports programs that truly accentuates the animation in Adult Swim shows. Christy Caracas made a big name for himself with his highly stylized, insanely animated Super Jail, and Ballmasters 9009 carries on that tradition, but pairs insane animation with an even crazier premise. It's essentially bad news bears meets mad max but in animation form and it needs to be seen to be believed curiously ballmasters really emphasizes a certain anime like sensibility and a focus on sports that's typically unseen in american animation ballmasters first season has already aired but it came and went so quickly that it's a good series to quickly binge through before the second season comes along it's currently one of adult swim's best hidden gems so to properly prime you for this series and give you an idea of whether it's your cup of tea here's our chat with the show's creator, Christy Caracas, as he explains the show, its style, and its many influences in animation, and what he hopes to get across through the medium. This is Ballmasters. What are the origins for this series? Like, how did this idea come about, and was it always the same, or like, did it focus on a different character at one point, or what's the story? After Jail was winding down. I just was trying to think of something new to do, and uh, you know, I didn't want it to be exactly the same. And I, you know, I used to be an anime fan, and I kind of stopped watching it for a while. And around the end of Super Jail, I was just seeing a lot of stuff, just a lot of exciting stuff like Yuasa, Ping Pong, and Kill a Kill, and just a lot of things were coming out that were one punch man that were really dynamic and really, really pretty crazy. That got me really excited. I was like, well, you know, Super Jail was more of a flat gag driven kind 
comedy. I know it's viral, but it's ga- very gag-driven, and maybe this could be something that's very action and not as flat and maybe a little anime. And, you know, there's so many sports manga and sports anime. I mean, it's probably anime for any sport that exists from, you know, big fall rollerblading or, you know, you know, anything really. And ping pong, especially, I was like, well, a sports show, I was like, maybe I could do some kind of weird fake sport. You know, I don't really watch sports or follow sports at all. So, and then I was just thinking about, you know, sports tropes and things like the Bad News Bears and you know, those kind of things. It just seemed like a good fit that kind of came together. And I always like stuff like, you know, dystopian 70s movies like Rollerball and stuff. So I was basically like, I mean, it really kind of came together very easily, but I, but also like, you know, all those genres and all those ideas, but not knowing what it's going to be about. And then I would, you know, and then just like normal, I start sketching and drawing, and sometimes you like a drawing and you stick with it, and then sometimes it changes a lot, but just kind of developing it and thinking up what is this world and how does it work. So Slim, usually only 11-minute episodes, and it needs to be comedy, but, you know, there, there was some thought at the beginning of like how much this is a real sport, how much is the game, how much is the story. And I think a lot of that was, I kind of took a while to develop this idea, and I feel like I just tried to kind of build up all the backstory and all this stuff, and there was, and then it was sort of like, after doing all that, kind of cherry-picking the things that would work for this kind of show and this kind of structure, you know, and format. Mm-hmm. So, like, a lot of stuff that never made it to the show or maybe didn't clearly explain in the show, but that in my head kind of drove some of those ideas and some of those things. I mean, that's honestly the perfect answer i'm a big anime fan too and like the the largest takeaway i got from the show was the huge anime influence whether it's like the characters expressions or like the episode titles and it really made me think like you were saying there are so many anime that are about sports but like i really thought about it and i couldn't think of a single american cartoon that showing sports you know i think it's kind of cool that like that it's kind of the first time that's going on here so that's kind of awesome to hear that that's intense what you were doing. It was kind of interesting because when I was researching, because again, you know, I don't follow sports at all. I'm not a sports fan. Yeah. But, you know, the things in sports are very exciting. And the funny thing about it is when I was watching stuff, there's tons of American, maybe not animated, but there's tons of sport films, but a film structure is so specific as opposed to a series where you have to kind of keep the longevity. Yeah. And, and you know, a series is, is kind of different. So it was kind of funny because I was like, oh, these are all awesome, but at the same time, you kind of can't do this because at the end they all win and everything's perfect and it's over so it's kind of like you can't really ever can't win or you know, they'll figure their shit out the funny thing too is that you know there, there is stuff like Eastbound and Down I think is very similar and I guess yeah. that is there kind of thing where I mean I love the original and I love the new one and I mean that is there it's just so funny it's just a bunch of ding-dongs on a team yeah yeah it's, it's like anything the funniest thing is when they fight with each other and they can't get it together and I'm like that'll, that'll probably you could probably melt that for a while in a comedy show and that was really fun and I think another reason maybe it might be hard is in manga and anime you're like saying I feel like an animator in Japan that might exist more in a series and stuff like that but I think for some reason like when I think of American animation for the most part it can be based on like a sitcom dynamic yeah it's usually like a pretty small cast of characters like you know and one thing that was kind of a challenge with this was one I have these full teams of lots of characters but it's hard enough to get every character in the main team in an episode and then you have to have another team and then you want to introduce lots of teams and it was kind of it was a little intimidating at first because it's like you know you can't have a million characters in an 11 minute show you can't do it but just try to focus on just the main team but always maybe have a little slice of another team in there and obviously show a lot of it visually but that was always something where the whole time I was like oh, I can't wait I, you know, I want to do I want to play with all these other characters because there's, there's really 
really no time, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, like, I think Ballmasters does have, like, a very serialized story that continues to pick up paces, like, the season goes on, too. And, like, I'd say Super Jail has hints of that, but it's definitely a more episodic show. Which style do you think you prefer in the end? Do you like doing something serialized like that? I, I like both. I mean, in the past, I think, but not really big with Netflix, but, like, a lot of places don't want you to do it serialized because like then it's, then it's an air out of order you come in and you don't sure. know what's going on but like at the same time we kind of did a little of both like we started it the first three or four are pretty there's you know new things to reveal but then near the middle they start to be more kind of well off to comedy things mm-hmm. and then near the end of the season it will start to come back to the original like you know what is this about what are they doing and I, I, we kind of played with it a little a little bit of both which I thought was really exciting so I hope people people dig it yeah I think it works yeah. Is there anyone from the Leptons that you think will surprise the audience the most in the end? Or, like, who is the unsung hero of the group? It's funny. I think it's funny because, you know, when we finish an episode, we screen it with the crew. And I'm always curious, like, what people are going to laugh at. And it's funny. I think all of them have their moments. But I think I, I don't really have a favorite, but I know, like, Flip and Leo can laugh. But so does, I mean, Bob and Lulu don't even talk, really. And they get a lot of big laughs. We tried to give every character an episode where they were kind of in the A storyline. Absolutely. Talk a little on Quasar, too, because he's certainly, like, an exaggerated, interesting character that also kind of feels like the warden from Super Jail in a lot of ways, too. What's his deal, and will we be learning more about who he is beneath, like, all of the pomp and circumstance? You will learn more, and I don't want to say it. No. Yeah, it's funny. I, so, when we started, he wasn't such a main character. We just felt like someone needed to have started all this, uh-huh. and he kind of this was so funny when everyone would be talking about him, he'd be funny. We're like, oh, let's just put him in. And I, I, I did worry. I was like, ah, this is much like the warden. But he's, he's a little different. I think he more sets things up and then watches what happens as opposed to the warden, who I think is probably more of a control freak that is yeah. purposely causing all these things to happen. Krazar, I think, is more, he's been, you know, he's existed for thousands of years and created the game. And he, I think he's so bored. We, we thought of it a lot, like, a, like we were talking a lot about hard sci-fi. We were like, yeah, if you're this, like, 9,000-year-old um, AI of a genius in this weird body with a hologram, and you, 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 you know, every time you re-downloads into, like, a new body, it gets a little crazier, and then just kind of bored with life, and you just, just, just you know, crazy things are entertaining to him. But I think he does care. I don't want to say too much, because there's a little more with him. That, yeah, that, yeah. Cool. Just on the topic of the animation, I, I love your style so much, and, like, I'm sure that you're an inspiration to a lot of other animators out there, but who else in, like, the animation world really inspires you and the people on your staff? Like, who do you think people should check out, whether it's in, like, television, comics, or, like, wherever? It's funny because specific influences for the show are probably things a lot of people know. But it's funny, I actually just got back from the Glass Animation Festival in Berkeley. Third year at the American Film Festival, and they had such a great range of things. Like, I mean, Yuasa was a huge influence for me, and I think he's definitely somebody people should check out. Sawako Kabuki, had, she just, a lot of these are more artsy short filmmakers, but her work is really amazing, and she gives this really amazing talk. Jorge Gutierrez, who's like, Book of Life, he's a huge, huge, just an amazing guy, and uh, 
work is great and has so much story and heart and like authenticity in this really great way. I like a lot of indie stuff. I mean, I have it's funny. I teach at RISD also, and I gotta be honest, like a, a lot of the student work is just so inspiring because again, I think when you do something that you don't totally understand or know how to do, it comes out more exciting because if you're not getting stuck in patterns and kind of getting stale. And it's something I think about and worry about a lot. But I try to go to these festivals just to kind of keep. It's funny. I just got back a couple days ago, and I'm in a super excited mode. Like I was just drawing today, and I was like, I want to start working on ideas for that. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, that's so funny that you mentioned Yuasa, though, because, like, I honestly do see a lot of his style in that, and I just saw the the Night is Short walk-on girl. I saw one at the festival. It's, like, about, like, a girl, and she goes, like, drinking all night. Yeah, yeah, I, ju- I just saw this at It's the so good. It. It's I so good. It. Yeah, it really not, blew me not away. Yeah. I mean, it turns into an opera partway through. Like, it's so, it's so bizarre. episode or a particular sequence of animation that you're particularly proud of from the first season and just like where do you see a possible second season going like do you see it extending beyond like this ball master transformation stuff and like going to bigger places or what do you think as far as a favorite thing I, I definitely have favorite parts in all of them and a lot of it for me is like sometimes I'll see a scene and I'll go oh my god that's amazing who did that and you'll, you'll hear who did it and the, there was a lot of growth, I feel like, on this production. Like, I like a lot of, a lot of shows, a lot of, a lot of shows you do in, in America, like, they might be a kid's show, or they're, they're kind of like, the shows are more sitcom so, like, even though the show's really funny, it's not like a wild animation sequence that lets you kind of break out of the style of the show. Uh-huh. this show, we're often finding, hey man, you can, like, exaggerate, you can make it crazy, like, don't feel like you have to stick to what you've seen in the show already. And so, every once in a while, someone would do something where I totally didn't guess who did it, and I would just be so excited, because, like, you did that? I've never seen you animate like that. This is awesome. So it's like the kind of big excitement of, of it. But I definitely like the flashback to the Rad Ward when it kind of explains. Well, it's funny. If you watch the show, you won't know this. I kind of shouldn't talk about it because if you, if you watch the first two episodes, you won't know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? The finale has, I'll say the finale is a little bit music based. The finale 
That's and awesome. Like getting more tight. Yeah, so like the, the end fight of the finale, I think, might be my favorite scene. Very cool. I can't wait to see that. That's just a trick to make everyone watch it all the way through. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much, Daniel. And as you noted there at the end, they were talking about a finale that for them had not happened yet. This interview is from a while ago, and a season one is something that is imminently bingeable for Ballmasters 9009. And we're still waiting on word as to whether or not there might be a season two. But of course, you heard some speculation in that interview about what a season two might look like. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll see Ballmasters 9009 season two. So thank you, Daniel, for that one. But that's going to be it for this installment of the Den of Geek podcast. Join us again in two weeks for the October 2018 early edition of G News when we'll hash out the latest from denofgeek.com and share some more behind-the-scenes content from your favorite TV shows, movies, and more. And if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and now Spotify. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.